0: 28 climate adaptation vulnerability assessment and priorities report uh, milestone one prioritization framework and we will go to the staff report ms goodman hello
1: can you hear me perfect good afternoon commissioners brianna goodman of your staff I'm before you today to present the project framework developed for the Santa Cruz County Climate Adaptation Vulnerability Assessment, or CAVA. It's been a long meeting already, so I will attempt to cover the last six months of work as succinctly as possible. Slide, please. Already it was. I will begin with a brief project overview and then present some findings from our first round of outreach and then pass things to our consultant team to go over the framework itself and next steps. Slide. RTC is partnering with the County of Santa Cruz for this effort with their departments of planning and public works, as well as the Office of Response, Recovery and Resiliency, collaborating as members of the CAVA project team. WSP and Ecology Action join us as our consultants. Slide. As we all know, natural disasters such as extreme storms and wildfire are already impacting our county transportation system. These hazard events will continue to increase in frequency and severity due to climate change. State and federal efforts are underway to attempt to get ahead of these events by proactively designing transportation, redesigning transportation assets such as bridges, roadways, and drainage to adapt to the future conditions of a changed climate. Slide, please. In order to effectively carry out these adaptation and resilience efforts with finite funding, transportation assets must be adapted in priority order. Since transportation agencies love acronyms, Caltrans has adopted the national Fear Not Network F-E-A-R-N-A-H-T. The CAVA project will cover steps five through seven of this framework. Understanding the climate hazards and threats, understanding the impacts, and determining vulnerability and prioritizing. Next slide, please. This involves using the latest climate change modeling science to determine when, where, and how transportation assets will be impacted. Developing transportation metrics and utilizing these metrics to develop a prioritized list of transportation assets which will be further analyzed to determine adaptation and resilience reconstruction opportunities utilizing the new state and federal climate adaptation funding. Slide. In order to develop prioritization metrics in line with the needs of the communities of Santa Cruz County, feedback was solicited across a broad range of mediums uh, as listed on the slide. Particular effort was made to reach residents living in unincorporated areas most severely impacted by recent natural disasters, such as the San Lorenzo Valley and the flood of South County. Slide. I will now briefly run through some charts summarizing input received from the public via the online survey and the public workshops. These charts are also included in your packet as attachment Two. Here you can see a majority of our responses came from either North County around the San Lorenzo Valley in green or unincorporated South County in orange. Slide. Folks were asked to identify what might impact their ability to respond in a climate hazard emergency, such as their ability to evacuate or shelter in place. A majority indicated they would have no issues responding. 57.9%. Slide. Thank you. However, looking to where in in the county those folks live, you can see clearly those who reside in areas most recently impacted by climate hazards are less likely to say they have no concerns about being able to respond in an emergency. San Lorenzo Valley communities and the cities of Watsonville and Capitola are right down there at the bottom. Slide. In the next few slides, we have broken down the data into three groups. Sorry, four groups. Gray for all responses, blue for responses outside of city limits, so unincorporated county. Uh, Green for communities around the San Lorenzo Valley, and orange for South County unincorporated areas. As you can see, extreme wind events causing falling trees and down power lines were indicated the most frequently followed by slope failure, such as washouts and landslides, and wildfire. Slide. These climate hazard events had major impacts. Longer travel times were the most frequent, but being completely unable to leave one's home and being unable to access food were also near the top. Slide. Most of these impacts lasted only a few days. However, nearly a quarter, 23 percent, of all responses indicated the impact to their travel from the event is still ongoing. Slide. Thanks. When asked which hazards under consideration in the Kava were most important, folks again indicated extreme wind, slope failure, and wildfire, but interestingly, not in the same order. Slide. Thanks. For most types of hazards, frequency of experiencing it firsthand and frequency of indicating the hazard was important track more or less proportionally, the green versus the orange that are adjacent to each other. Wildfire is the exception. It is the number one concern, in spite of being experienced by less than 19% of those who provided feedback during Milestone 1. Slide. During stakeholder and focus group meetings, a sort of pattern began to emerge in the conversations. That is that there are two different realms of concern when it comes to the impacts on our transportation system of climate change accelerated natural disasters. First, how we respond in the moment, such as our ability to evacuate, access medical attention, or be reunited with our families. The other realm involves what happens in the days and weeks afterwards, how it impacts our daily commute or the local economy. The top metrics identified during outreach, interestingly enough, I believe, form the overlap of that Venn diagram, as they effectively speak to both the -the in-the-moment impacts and those which can linger long after the danger has passed. And now, I would like to introduce our project manager from WSP Incorporated, Tim Gross. Tim will be taking us through the framework development itself, as well as the next steps of the Kava project. Thank you. Thanks, Brianna. Thanks, commissioners.
2: All right, so in terms of just diving right into how the project uh, overview, the project framework was developed, it was created to align with industry best practices, as well as selection criteria for a lot of the grant funding that's becoming available at the state and federal levels for resilience. It was informed by data availability, so, what data sets were available across uh, the study area in a comprehensive manner. And then it was modified to align with input we received from community members and key stakeholders. Next slide. Uh, The asset classes that are covered are listed here. So for the unincorporated uh, county roadway network, that includes roadway segments, including any associated bicycle infrastructure, uh, culverts and bridges, and then the branch rail line and any railway segments and associated trails that are existing or planned, as well as culverts and bridges along the railway. We're considering a wide variety of hazards shown on the next slide. Those include coastal flooding and erosion and the effects that sea level rise has on those hazards, riverine and other inland flooding, debris flow, slope failure and landslides, extreme wind and wildfire direct impacts. And I use that to distinguish it from the impacts that it has on riverine flooding and debris flow. On the next slide, So the project framework consists of prioritizing different assets and assigning them prioritization scores based on the order in which they should be further addressed. That framework incorporates data related to hazard likelihood, so the probability that these assets will be affected adversely by the hazards, and consequence, the degree to which that impact affects the broader transportation system and the people who depend on it. We create prioritization scores ranging from 0 to 100, 100 being the highest priority and 0 being the lowest priority. And those are based on those metrics that Brianna mentioned that capture uh, both likelihood and consequence data. Um, And the end product will be a set of priority lists for each of those asset classes that I mentioned a few slides ago. So for example, county bridges or railway segments, et cetera. On the next two slides, I'll just walk you through an example of how those scores are put together. This, for example, we'll take a roadway segment. Okay, this is one of the seven hazards that we're looking at, riverine flood risk. So we take metrics related to likelihood. Those are shown in green here. So projected heavy rainfall at the asset location, both now and in the future. Projected wildfire severity, both now and in the future at the asset location and other likelihood metrics. We weight those based on the relative importance and combine them together into a likelihood score which ranges from zero to 10. We do the same thing for consequence related metrics. So whether something uh, is is within or nearby a disadvantaged community, it's relative traffic volume. And we come up with a consequence score from zero to 10. We multiply the likelihood and consequence score together to come up with a riverine flood risk score. And on the next slide, you'll see this process is repeated for all the hazards. Those all get combined and averaged together to come up with an overall prioritization score. And the end product looks something like this. On the next slide, which is a table where the, the rows correspond with different assets. And it'll be sorted in descending order according to that prioritization score. We'll represent this information visually on a set of maps. And this is, these lists will inform where action is needed first. And it'll be an important piece of supporting information to go after funding at the project level to address uh, these issues. Next slide. Just to wrap up, in terms of next steps, we're ending the first of our three public engagement milestones. Today, we ask for your input and approval of the project framework. Uh, we'll then embark on milestone two, which is developing these draft prioritization lists. And we'll take that to the public in late spring, early summer, and be back here for approval in August. And then we'll develop the final report and wrap that up uh, late 2024, early 2025. And that's all we had. Thank you very much, and happy to take questions.
0: Thank you. Uh, Any questions? Yeah, Commissioner Rotkin.
3: I, I understand the idea of looking at uh, how, because funders are concerned about it, how how the uh, how close to uh, disadvantaged communities, various kinds of areas are, and getting points, in effect, raising their priority. If that's the case, it makes sense if you're talking about county roads. It makes sense about flooding areas like in Pajaro and so forth. I don't know how it makes any sense at all in relation to a railroad. Uh, If the railroad goes out on the Selva Beach, which is a wealthier community, the people of Pajaro are as deeply affected as if if the rail line breaks, you know, a a block from them or something. So I'm wondering how you're handling, because it's not our whole portfolio, but the corridor and repairs are a big piece of what we do. And I just don't think that criteria makes any sense in relation to the rail. Am yeah, I, couple, am I missing something here?
2: A couple comments there. I mean, I think one of them is that the you know we'll want to consider access to disadvantaged communities, not just if, a, if an asset's physically within the community. So if it's providing an access to a community, it would get prioritized as well. And then It'd get
3: prioritized in, in um, let's say, Aptos or somewhere.
2: Potentially, because it
3: affects Pajaro.
2: Potentially, yes, Yep. Yeah. Um, and then also, we're like we are looking at some of the trails as well. So, if there were local
4: users in those communities out of those trails, I think that triggered me because one of the things that 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 you guys got to realize in the commission is we only have uh, in South County we only have one piece of the railroad tracks. All the investments have been in the North County. Good or bad, that's what it is. So. I get uh, 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 to your question is funding, and in in these parameters, we've delayed. We have funding for one piece, and we've delayed it because a lot of issues. But lack of investment. If you just go out right here on Walker, you can see all the uh, rail going through uh, going through the streets in shambles and we keep asking about who's. Is at our priority or is it the rail line priority? I can't get a good answer. That tells you that we are not a priority. As a disadvantaged community, we are not a priority through the commission. Thank you.
0: Commissioner Johnson.
5: Thank you. Um, in regards to you investigating or looking at the entire rail line, along the coastal zone are you engaging with coastal commission staff at all in in that discussion that's the first question i assume you're going to be looking at all of the vulnerabilities the entire line along the coastal zone that's a question i'm it looks like it's listed and that's correct yes but so if that is correct then would it make sense to engage at all or discuss with the coastal commission staff given their long history of priorities of of managed retreat and that kind of thing
2: so we will look at the entire segment and we will consider what the coastal commission's guidance is in terms of what sea level rise scenarios to look at in this project that we won't get into what to do to address those issues so i don't think that we'll have uh direct engagement with the coastal commission
5: yes but you're going to seek some feedback as to um at least ask them what they think of your vulnerability assessment based on the data that you've gathered
2: I think that could be a possibility. Yeah.
5: yeah. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Brown.
6: So I would uh, echo that point that um, Commissioner Jenny Johnson just made. Um, one of the things that I've uh, noticed in following Coastal Commission discussions, um, and and also in the converse- in the efforts to uh, get the work done to. Uh, approved segment five, uh, the North Coast section of the rail trail segment. Um, it it feels to me that having those conversations with co- the Coastal Commission earlier. I mean, there, it's one thing to look at their written guidance, um, but to really get a sense of where the staff is coming from is um, is super helpful. <laughs> um, and to do that early and often to communicate with them. And I recognize this is uh, a framework, but it it probably would be worth. Um, running it by them and just getting some initial feedback about the direction and any kind of concerns they might have because often what happens it feels is that we uh, an issue comes before the Coastal Commission um, and it's like it it gets delayed or you know there's some something happens where it could have been resolved earlier on in the process so just think it, it's very important to do that I also wanted to ask um, Just in terms of the framework, kind of um, responding to uh, Commissioner Rotkin's point, um, as these asks, I'm trying to think about how it would be used, right? I know it's a development of a framework, but the point is that it's gonna be used for making decisions about what gets prioritized. And it makes sense to me in the case of roadways where, um, you know, particular uh, block or, you know, series of blocks between intersections. Um, may not be the priority for repair um, or improvement. You can, there are alternative routes with a rail line. If one of those segments is not prioritized, and it kind of, I think that gets back to the point that um, Commissioner Montesino is making. Um, one isn't prioritized, none of it works, right? In the end. <laughs> now, with respect to the trail, we've, we, it will work, right? When people are going shorter distances. But the point of is just, I, I guess I'm just trying to understand how that would be operationalized. If one segment's not a priority, what does that mean for the rest? Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, thanks.
2: Yeah, I think I think that makes it more important to look at sort of the the hazard likelihood along the different portions of the of the railway. So, right, what's what's most susceptible? What are the weakest links in terms of these types of hazards? And and are there um, ways that that could be helped or
1: mitigated? And um, around, I might just add that uh, typical detour. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'm usually so loud I figured you could hear me. Um, typical detour time and length is one of the consequence metrics and obviously if you have to go off of the rail line and and find an alternate um, way to get around through that point, um, that's going to become a much larger number so that will be captured there.
0: All right, uh, I just have uh, two brief questions. So. So basically what you're saying is that we are looking at the segments of the rail line that are most susceptible to experiencing the kind of damage that would impact the entire rail line. Correct? Correct. Okay. And then so uh, I was con- contacted by some residents recently um about like a large drainage pipe that runs into a ditch and sea cliff and it's eroding back further and further towards the uh, rail line and eventually will likely reach the rail line And so their question to me in, in looking at today's agenda was when are we going to see a list of what's being prioritized? And so if I'm understanding correctly in the staff report uh, this spring or This summer rather we're it, It's going to come back to the Commission for us to actually see a list of the prioritized areas that are most likely to be susceptible to this kind of damage Is that in summer? Yes, that's correct? correct. Okay, great. Thank you Uh, OKAY. IF THERE'S NO ADDITIONAL COMMISSIONER QUESTIONS, WE'LL TAKE THIS OUT TO PUBLIC COMMENT. WE'LL START WITH uh, THOSE